specific item that was subject to forensic testing, and as a result of that forensic testing, an indisputable match and identification to a person was made. David Edmund Pouillat, formerly a resident of Springfield, now deceased. Uh, he passed away, he died in 2003. The person identified, we can establish, had a familiarity, and in fact a connection to that very area where Holly disappeared and where her remains were found. Uh, and I repeat, Mr. Pouillat at this time is not being named a suspect. However, I can tell you that evaluation of the nature and the character of the piece of evidence that was tested, as well as the specific location it was found and the condition in which it was found, we consider to be very relevant in this investigation. Welcome back to Holly's Been Taken. I'm Richard Price. You just heard a clip from the January 2012 press conference from then Hampton District Attorney Mark Mastriani, who was seeking help from the public to learn more about former Springfield, Massachusetts resident David Pouliot. Investigators found Pouliot's DNA on evidence collected from the Brimfield Woods in 1993 near Holly. We're going to reveal new details about David, and we're going to talk more about the difficulty of piecing together a profile about him and his past. We will also briefly discuss Lewis Lent, who was convicted of child murders and is serving time in a Massachusetts prison. There will be two additional episodes, one on Rodney Stanger, who was in a Florida prison from the murder of his longtime girlfriend, Crystal Morrison. Stanger has also been a source of speculation for both Holly's 1993 case and Molly Bish, a 16-year-old from Warren, Massachusetts, who was abducted and murdered in 2000. The other will be a detailed profile of a man pulled over while driving his pickup truck near the scene of Holly's disappearance hours earlier. If you recall from a past episode, a team of now-retired investigators who worked on this case for years told the story of a man in a pickup who leered at two teen girls about 200 yards from where Holly was standing as she waited for a litter of puppies. We will take a deep dive on that day where you will hear new details about this case. But first, let's talk about David Pouliot. I held a Zoom call with three members of Holly's family, Carla Jackman, her aunt, Leah Jollin, her older cousin, and Julie Gerning, Holly's younger cousin. I briefed them on my findings on Pouliot, and we'll hear some never-been-told details from them. We'll also discuss the topography where investigators found Holly and how it impacts the investigation. As a reminder, those sensitive to disturbing content should not tune in. There will be details about abduction and murder, which is distressing. This story could be harrowing and haunting to some, so please keep that in mind. The first thing I want to talk about is uh, David Pouliot. Are pretty familiar with him already. You've um, you've been to uh, the press conference that was uh, hastily called together by um, the then DA Mark Mastriano. I have pulled a, a bunch of different things together, um, partly from 
the press release from the meeting that they called, there are seven takeaways that I got from this press conference. One of the things that um, is in this, uh, I'm not going to disclose, which is the evidence that they were actually had um, decided that they were testing. So I was able to um, find out what that was. But since it's still part of the investigation, we're just going to not mention that by name. We're just going to move on from there, okay? Number one was that investigators refused to name the type of evidence in order to preserve the integrity of the investigation. So obviously, the unnamed item was subject to forensic testing, and the DA said it would not reveal the type of test, but said it was an indisputable match. So that's great. An evaluation of the nature and character of the piece of evidence that was tested, as well as the specific location it was found and the condition it was found, they said we consider to be very relevant. So I, I want to kind of pull that apart in a minute too. We're pretty familiar with what it is and understand why they didn't want to reveal that. One of the things they said, the Mastriana said, was the item was found in close proximity to Holly. The DA would not be more specific on what close proximity means. As I discussed in, I think, the last episode of the podcast, but the crime scene is... During my research, I obtained the topographic map by police, drawn in 2012, that marked Holly's location and a series of 11 points scored as ribbons along the two trail areas west of the clearing. A towering hill of stone and trees cuts off a view of each section. One might interpret the ribbons as markings by investigators since they noted Holly's location. But a source told me that investigators claimed that the Army Corps of Engineers created the map's ribbon markings for their purposes and are not evidence markings. As I said in past episodes, the crime scene is over 500 yards, given the site's possible access point. Mastriani told the press that he would not specifically say how far the evidence tied to Pugliot was from the body, instead saying it was close, but not in the immediate proximity. To me, this raises the possibility that Pugliot was in the area, but might have been on the other side of the hill that separates where Holly was. In other words, he and others were nearby, but allegedly unaware of the girl's presence. So I had an opportunity to interview with several people who were familiar with the Brimfield spot back in 1993. And they had all said that the area was overgrown, but it was accessible by truck or even by foot. And that the, the area was very familiar to hunters and fishermen. And it was also known as a party spot. There was always a lot of kind of trash everywhere that kind of showed that, you know, beer cans and whiskey bottles and, and things like that. And that um, one interview, one person I interviewed said that uh, trash was often seen near a boat landing uh, next to the Quinnebog River. Um, and that was about 100 yards to the clearing where Holly was found. So that's very, that's very revealing because it shows people who would frequent there. It shows that it's a place that um, hunters and fishermen would congregate and people would, uh, would party there. The third thing was that Pulliat was familiar and had a connection to the area where Holly disappeared and where the remains were found. But since the item that they found that they tested was in Brimfield, we know for sure that that's certainly the case there. 
I have not been able to figure out whether or not David Pouliot had a familiar a familiarity with Sturbridge. He might have. The fourth thing was that Pouliot was not named a suspect nor a person of interest, but said the development, um, but Mastriana said the development was a very significant lead. And that was a quote that I, I picked up directly from a Telegram article. So that's revealing because if obviously we he wasn't ready to call it a suspect, he wasn't even going to call this a person of interest. So it says to me that Mastriani wasn't really quite sure what to make of all of this, where the pieces really fit with this, was really hedging his bets, I believe. Ten years have passed. And as far as I could see, um, there really hasn't been really much else to talk about on the development from that press conference. Um, he's listed by name only, but it's starting to look like, at least looking ahead now 10 years after that, that this kind of came to a grinding halt a little bit. I made multiple attempts to reach his surviving brother, who is Gary Pugliot. He did not call me back. And I and that I thought was pretty revealing in itself because I wondered if maybe that um, law enforcement investigators were having were struggling with the same kind of thing, trying to trying to create some kind of a profile of David. I found it rather difficult myself, and I'll, I'll tell you a little more. But the fifth point is that David pro may not have been alone on the day on the day that he was there and that item was left behind. And this was certainly alluded to by the investigators during the press conference. And that could certainly be very true with uh, it being a party spot, a party spot where men had gathered and to hunt to fish, to drink, do drugs, whatever it is that they're doing. There might even been some drug dealing going on there too. And I'll kind of get into my theory about that later on. But it seems to me that the remoteness of this location is a magnet for a lot of people to do what is that they want to do there and not be seen. The other people that we that I want to talk about here kind of reinforce that thought. I know that obviously there was the press conference. This is the sixth point. The press conference was hastily called in early January of 2012. Is anyone anyone kind of like tell me what that day was, like how you were contacted and how much in advance you were you were given? Um, yeah, I, I can. Yeah, I think it was very hastily um, prepared. That's Carla Jackman, Holly's aunt. I feel like like we get a call and we had to leave to go there like within hours. It was so we thought it was something huge, something big going on that they found the person. They didn't really give us any detail. We found out exactly when everybody else found out, when they had the media there and everything. Okay. Yeah, I feel like they... That's Julie Gerning, Holly's cousin. If I'm remembering it correctly, they didn't even give us a heads up before the cameras and everything were in the main room there where they were giving that. They, we we heard at the exact same time as everybody else. Okay. Yeah. It was a roller coaster of a day. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that was, I think, interesting because they tested, which at the time was what they called new forensic and scientific technology. Might be a little bit more passe now, 
But that testing was actually done in the spring of 2012. And by September of 2012, they had, excuse me, this is um, 2011, I beg your pardon. September 2011, they had a match. That's when investigators started to interview. And they knew they had a match with David Pouliot. But it seems to me by calling the press conference that they were really struggling to get some information about who David was. I think it was the same kind of things that I was going through too. The DA would not reveal the crime that David was charged with by Springfield Police Department years earlier. I believe that was in 1999, but they did say it's not a sex crime. And I understand why they don't want to reveal that because they want to try and see if that would be something that only the killer would know. So that part would not be public. That really kind of made me want to think about David and who he really was. He died when he was 49 years old. His obituary said he was a high school graduate and that he was a Vietnam vet who served in the Coast Guard. And it also said he was employed with the city of Springfield in Massachusetts and the Department of Youth Services in Westfield, Massachusetts. But when I did some digging, I found out that he never graduated from high school. He dropped out on April 13th, 1970. He was only 16 at the time. And this I got from the Springfield Public Schools. I also found out that he has no record of military service. Despite his obituary, I had requested information from the National Archives. They had no record, nothing. The obituary also said that he was a member of the American Legion in Springfield, I think it was post 420. So I contacted them. They said he was a member. And I said, well, was he a full member? And they said, we don't know, because that would require full, you have to have verification, you have to have paperwork that shows that you were in the military in order to be that. They said he could have been an associate member. That made sense. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. He also um, was married and he was he was divorced in 1986 by a woman named Linda Hamilton Pouliot. As far as I can tell, they never had any kids. He was employed by the city of Springfield. And that was from May of 1972 when he was 18 until 1979. He was never drafted because he was working for the city of Springfield. And there was no break in his employment. And there's no record from the National Archives that he was um, in the military. So in his death certificate said that he died of congestive heart failure. That was the immediate cause. And that underlying causes were hypertension and other factors included diabetes and cocaine use. From that point on, his history gets very murky. And I could not locate his divorced wife, no matter how hard I tried. And Gary Pouliot that I talked about, um, I could not get him to call me back. Um, he has other relatives. His parents are gone. He has a, a half-brother who, who died. So it was, it was kind of narrow. And I think that this dead-end stuff reveals something not only about perhaps what the DA's office was having troubles with, was trying to build some kind of a profile about him, and he was probably just a guy who went to work every day and probably worked some odd jobs to supplement his income and largely kept to himself. 
And Carla, didn't you mention that you you did find out a, a few crumbs about him? Um, yes, I had spoken with a woman who lived in Brimfield um, the time Holly was taken, and she used to party in the woods down Five Bridges Road. And Pouliot, she told me Pouliot rototilled her garden. But it's because Pouliot was friends with her, the father of her daughter. And I forgot his name, but on um, Five Bridges Road. So Pouliot was friends with this, and I guess friends with her ex-husband. And somehow one of them said, hey, can you go roll to tell her, her garden? She acted like she didn't know much about him. Other, other than that, just someone that would come over and do an odd job like that. Right. And I think that was kind of his life. I think he was just one of these guys that he'd show up, pleasant enough guy, did the job. He's fine. Paid him. He left. And that was yeah. kind of it. He just mm-hmm. kind of did different things like that. So there, there's just, I guess what I'm saying, there's not a lot of there there. But, you know, you did say something interesting is that, you know, he he was known to hang out in that, that's, that area. And that it shows that he um, had acquaintances or friends that lived on that road. Yeah. 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 So we, we definitely have a connection there. Let's fast forward to February 1, 2023. Good morning. I'm Hamden District Attorney Anthony Galuni. I'm joined today by Massachusetts State Police Detective Thomas Sullivan, Assistant District Attorney Beth Dunphy-Ferris, and members of Holly Peranian's family to my right. I thank you all for being here. A press conference was called by Galuni, the current DA, to ask the general public for information about a piece of evidence found in the Brimfield Woods in 1993, but not revealed till now. It is the first press conference call since Pouliot. Case items documented in 1993 were identified within the past six months for further forensic testing, expanding on previous testing. Regarding one item, a white tank top, the assistance of the public is now being sought. As you can see, this is a white tank top style shirt with a blue, purple, and pink colored Boston motif on the exterior front. The shirt has no tags or size information. We are seeking the public's assistance for any information about this shirt. We are interested in determining who owned the shirt, its origin, or places where it was known to be sold, anything about its manufacture, or any information regarding its association with the area where Holly was found in the Five Bridge Road area of Brimfield. The podcast description has a link with a photo of the tank top. If you know anything, please get in touch with the district attorney. As we continue this search for answers, we are here today to issue a clarion call to the public and together as a community, as a community, to finally bring justice for Holly and her family. 
anyone with information that is specifically related to the Boston tank top or any information at all that is related to Holly's murder, we ask that you contact Holly's tip line, 413-426-3507. You can also use text-to-tip by texting the word CRIMES, numerically 274637, and type the word SOLVE into the body of the message, followed by your tip. Here's a good question from one reporter that day. So was the shirt found in Brimfield near where her body was found? It was in that vicinity, yes. In the vicinity, but was it found near her body? It was in the vicinity. All what about the size of the shirt? What makes you think that somebody was this tank top found a significant distance from the clearing? Only the investigators know the answer. The shirt could be another random piece of trash a fisherman or visitor left. Or it could be a vital link to the crime. Regardless, Galuni called the press conference shortly after what would have been Holly's 40th birthday. At the very least, the DA is trying to keep this case in front of the public. That brings me to Lewis Lent, somebody you certainly have heard that name before. On August 18th, 1993, 13 days after Holly disappeared, 12-year-old Sarah Ann Wood, riding home on her bike from her church in Litchfield, New York, was never seen again. Lent later confessed to Sarah Ann's murder and was convicted in New York State Court. He drew a map to investigators on where she was buried in the, in the Adirondacks, but a search came up empty. Lent later recanted his confession. After Lent's arrest in 1994 for a separate child victim crime in Western Massachusetts, a source told me a detective discovered that Lent had maps of the Brimfield area where Holly was found. Apparently, Lent fished in the area, but Certainly, based upon his history, he could have had a lot more on his mind than just Big Mouth Bass. A former resident of Five Bridge Road from 1993 told me that he was out getting some sun during the summertime in his front yard when he believes he saw Lewis Lent driving by in an old van by this neighbor's house the summer Holly disappeared. Lent is in the Old Colony Correctional Center in Bridgewater, Massachusetts, as we speak. He's serving a life sentence without parole for the murder of 12-year-old Jimmy Bernardo of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Lent won't live to serve a sentence for Sarah Ann Wood. I wrote Lewis Lent a letter, and I never heard back from him. I asked if I could interview him. And I might try again. I'm curious to see what he knows about Brimfield and the woods and what was so attractive about that area. But Lewis Len is kind of a slippery guy and not one for telling the truth. And he has certainly has led investigators on a lot of dark alleys where he had said that bodies were buried and they never materialized. After learning about David Pouliot, I'm convinced he was in the wooded area near Holly, but I wonder if he was aware of her presence. Those woods were a popular fishing spot in the summer, and, allegedly, 
a hotspot for partygoers. It is also possible, again allegedly, Pouliot played a role in Holly's case, but he could have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Let's dig some more. The next episode is about Rodney Stanger, who is in a Florida prison for the murder of his longtime girlfriend, Crystal Morrison. Stanger has also been a source of speculation for Holly's 1993 case and Molly Bish, a 16-year-old from central Massachusetts who was abducted and murdered in 2000. Stanger had a connection to the Sturbridge area and Brimfield, but we'll reveal new information. Here is a teaser. He was hiding um, because he had a warrant for his arrest. And David was bringing, brought him some food out there. And that was probably in 1990. And this was the section of the Brimfield Woods where years later, Holly's remains were discovered. I believe so. 